0: This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4ZZZ out of Brisbane, Australia. Don't you wish you could get motivated to be fitter, stronger and faster? Me too. Did you know there's a whole body of psychology research that looks at our exercise habits?
1: Because this time on the show we are talking about exercise, which may send some of you into an anxiety frenzy.
0: (laughs) Exercise and sports psychology use the scientific method to figure out why we participate in exercise and sports and how we can be better at it. According to the American
1: Psychological Association,
0: sports psychologists are interested in
1: two main areas. Helping athletes use psychology to improve performance and understanding how participation in sport, exercise and physical activity affects an individual's psychological development, health and well-being throughout the
0: lifespan. This time on Only Human, we are talking to psychology researcher Emma Slade, who is looking at the role of identity leadership in group exercise classes. If you are also baffled as to what that means, Emma explains to Only Human's Danica Hill.
2: So, what do you do?
0: Uh, What do I do? Um,
3: Well, my name's Emma Slade, and I'm in my final year of the Master of Applied Psychology at the University of Queensland, Um, and they have three different streams of study, so my stream is in sport and exercise psychology.
2: Okay, so what's sport and exercise psychology?
3: Okay, so... (laughs) I think most people are probably more familiar with sport as opposed to exercise psychology. Um, So sport psychology is primarily working with elite athletes, um, basically looking at mental skills training to enhance their performance. Uh, So looking at the relationship of how psychological factors influence their physical performance.
2: Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because I was looking online and there was something like um, if... Do you, like, struggle to, you know, you're good at practice but you're not good on the field? Yeah. Like, stuff like people that's, you know, an athlete's mental state yeah. that's prohibiting them from yeah, performing abso- so as their job, really. Absolutely. And, you know, if you've if
3: you ever watched the Olympics and you've watched the swimming, um, the difference between getting a gold medal and silver and bronze, it's down to the millisecond. Um, yeah. So you're really looking at, in that example, you know their mental state on the day, their mental preparation, what's going through, through their mind. Uh, so that's just one example. Uh, when we move more over into exercise psychology, which I think is even a smaller niche, uh, it's a very small field in psychology uh, at the moment. It's looking at how we can get people to engage in physical activity, exercise or even movement, however we'd like to describe it. How we get people to engage in that activity, but also how do we get them to maintain that activity? And then taking that one step further, okay, what's happening for people while they're exercising? What are the things they're thinking about? Are there things, their mental skills training that we can look at to, I guess, make exercise more enjoyable? Um, or for those of us, some of us out there that class ourselves as competitive exercises, you know, what's the difference between them and people who would rather sit on the couch and you know, can we strike a balance there?
2: Yeah. Is there a big difference between people who are, you know, um, exercising or performing a sport in a team and those like tennis where you're just on your own? Yep.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As soon as you – if you've got a sport that's an individual sport um, and you've got a sport that's team sport, you know, you've got different factors at play there. So obviously in team sports we're looking at things such as team dynamics – you know, how does everyone get on with each other? What is their role in the team? What's the team's identity? What are the values? You know, so you might be working towards the same goal, say in soccer or hockey. you work working towards, you know, winning uh, the premiership. But does everyone have or hold the same values to get to that point? As opposed to tennis, where it's just you versus that person down the other side of the court, on the other side of the net, it all comes back to you. Mm-hmm. Um I've just finished placement with a tennis organisation in Brisbane and having grown up playing hockey for 19 years, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, fairly a bit more of like a team player and and love that group and that social aspect. And it was really great for me to learn off the kids what it's like to play an individual sport Um, because, yeah, it's the load's all on them.
2: Yeah, because they say like that's, you know, 50% mental ability when it's just you, but no team sport as well. That you've got to be you've got to be in a good team. Yeah. But if you're not a good team, <laughs> it's that's, a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So, um, your current research is looking at leadership and exercise groups. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us how you got interested in this topic?
3: Yeah. So, uh, when I was studying my undergrad in psychology, um, back in my hometown, which is Armidale, New South Wales. Okay. Yep. Um. Yeah, I was also trained and worked as a group fitness instructor. And across time, it became, I I started to see that there was more at play than just, I guess, the typical factors as to why people come to group exercise. We know that it's quite convenient. So, you know, people can just rock up to a class, can essentially be told what exercises to do. And in something like 60 minutes, the exercise is done for that day or or that week however many times they're coming um so there's that element of convenience but what was happening was you know there was people coming to these group classes that were strangers and then over time you know they get to know each other I guess being a bit in like a smaller you know country or regional town you know there was topics of conversation like you know talking about their kids and over time it became a sort of step back and thought There's a real social element here. Um, There's this real connection when then people started hanging out together outside of, you know, the exercise classes or, you know, going for runs on the weekend. Um, So that was how I first kind of thought, hang on, there's something here psychologically in group exercise. Um, Yeah, and then the same thing now, like back working in the industry, I've definitely noticed it again. So there's a bit of a theme. So the leadership side of it came into our approach. Um, my now supervisor at UQ, uh, Dr. Nicholas Stefans. and I just said to him, you know, he'd done a bit of research in regards to groups um, in more of an organisational setting um, and leadership. And I said, what do you think? He said, yeah, you look, there's definitely potentially something there. Um, so we pulled out this social identity leadership model, which basically looks at how leaders can facilitate. Uh, their group members to build an identity within that group
1: yeah, yeah. you're listening to four triple z sister station on the digital spectrum yeah. z digital yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what is the current research in group psychology saying about this topic yeah so
3: there is there has been some research in regards to, I guess, the function of groups in exercise. And there was a study that came out a few years ago um, that looked at a running group. Um, and basically what happened is if the individuals identified strongly with the running group, they participated in or they went to more runs. And then what they found is that there was a group, uh, a few groups that split, um, just like kind of natural currents of the group, like people moved, um and then what they found that those individuals were less likely to go for a run um so there was definitely the group was definitely kind of tying these people together there is some research that is hopefully coming out of the uk soon that i know of um, that has looked at this role of social identity leadership and has found that there are certain facets um where if the leader shows these characteristics people come to more classes Um, They go on more runs. Um, They come to training more often in regards to sporting teams. Oh,
2: yeah? Yeah. So this is quite a new area. Is it growing really fast?
3: Uh, I don't know if it's growing fast. I know it is growing. Um, I think, you know, that really ties back to exercise psychology as well, that the research that I've done, people working in this field, I haven't really come across many people yet. Um, So if anyone's listening that um, works as an exercise psychologist um, yeah definitely give me a shout out because I'd love to love to talk to you
0: I'd like to ask a question you mentioned some of the characteristics of leaders that might keep people in mm-hmm. groups what are they yep
3: yeah. um, so in within the social identity leadership approach um, there's four facets so that's create represent advance and embed so those four characteristics um, You know if the leader can create a sense of identity um, if they can be like a model member of the group um, so someone who really represents what this group is all about if they can advance the group so they kind of stand up for the group um, you know they put things in place for the group really promote what the group is about and then also embedding that identity within the group so helping people to I guess build it hey like in in I guess a real-life example in group exercise it's about building the participant's identity that yes i'm an exerciser i'm a group exerciser um yeah so they're the four characteristics
2: so like encouraging people just being a great encourager and yeah 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 Yeah, very interesting Mm -hmm. so what sort of um sort of people are interested in this research that's going on is it more from like sports clubs or is it more from exercise like yeah. where are the real interests?
3: Yeah. It's definitely coming from um, fitness organisations um, and exercises. So to participate in the research, um, people need to engage in group, a group fitness class at least once per week that has the same instructor taking that class every week. So say, for example, um, you might go to what's called a high-intensity interval training or a HIIT class every Monday night and we can pretend that John takes that class, he instructs that class every Monday night. Um, so that's kind of um, one of the key requirements in the research. So currently, um, yeah, anyone that kind of fits that, that mould um, can become interested in the research and become a participant. Um, but I've also had a few um, organisations um, from the you know, fitness organisations show their interest as well. Um, so, for example, UQ Sport has been really great. You know, they've sent out the, the survey link um, to plenty of their, their members. Um, and also uh, Les Mills, which is one of the biggest kind of group fitness bodies, um, I guess, in the world. We're not, we're not quite worldwide yet, um, but they've shown interest uh-huh. in this as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to work with um, organisations out there. Um, and what I'm giving in return is you know if they promote the research to their members and members um, come on board and participate in the research um, I'm also willing to give data back um, to those businesses Um, also looking at some other variables of interest such as the comfort that people feel in the group exercise space so things such as you know is it overcrowded is the lighting too bright is the music too loud you know we know gyms tend to be a little bit smelly, so is it on the nose a little bit? Um, and that's the sort of data that I'm happy to feed back to businesses in return.
2: Okay, so you mostly collect information through surveys? Yeah. Or like interviews? or Yeah, so yeah. it's survey-based,
3: um, which is up online. Um, so people can access it on tablets, phones, computer. Um, there's two time points. So they go on to the first survey they fill it out, it takes no more than 15 minutes. And then I send them a follow-up survey in four weeks' time.
2: Okay, if people listening are interested in getting involved, where would you point them to?
3: Yeah, definitely. So uh, the study link is tinyurlcom so dot forward slash group exercise study. So they can go there. There's information sheet that tells you a bit more about it. Um, you click answer the questions. Um, I am offering a $50 gift voucher uh, prize draw at the end. So if you complete both time points, you can go into the draw for that. Um, but, yeah, if anyone out there has questions or if there are organisations that, you know, are interested and want to contact me, um, you can email me at eslade, so E S-L-A-D-E, at uq net au.
0: Today on the show, we're talking to exercise researcher Emma Slade from the University of Queensland. She talks to Danika Hill.
2: Okay, what do, you th- what do you think or hope your research will achieve? Yeah.
3: Um, if the research was big enough, you know, if it exploded, which, you know, would be fantastic, but we'll see. Um, just bringing, firstly, bringing to light exercise psychology, I think for me and where I see myself heading and my own personal journey with exercise and movement, I know how valuable it has been. You know, we know that physical activity and depression, you know, physical activity has such positive effects on depression and even anxiety to some degree. And I've, I personally feel it's really underutilised. You know, we've, we're sitting on this thing that if people got out and just kind of went for a walk, you know, 10 minutes every day, what impact would that actually have on their lives? Um, you know, I appreciate, though, that it is really difficult for people, um, especially, you know, when they're facing difficulties in their life. So how can we help people to overcome that you know, and, and get them moving? Um, so that's, yeah, bringing, bringing exercise psychology in and investing more research is the first step. This re- research, um, more specifically, is... Um, I'd really like to extend it further, you know, maybe in a PhD one time, um, <laughs> head back to uni for another three, four years, um, but really looking at, okay, so we've got these characteristics and say we found that if an instructor um, is perceived to display these characteristics by the participants and that results in them going to that, that instructor's classes more often and they exert more effort in those classes, How can we then teach our instructors to use um, or to use methods and use techniques to exhibit these characteristics? So then people want to go to these classes more often. Um, So again, it's really taking it away from that individual approach where it's up to the individual, you need to make the choice to exercise. You know, if we look through the research, um, for example, self-determination theory has taken up a lot of the research space and it definitely has... Um, its role in this area. But let's take it one step further and look. Let, let's look socially because we know the power of groups. You know, at UQ at the moment in, um, in psychology, there's a lot of research in regards to groups. So let's see what we can do in this more social approach regarding exercise um, and then, yeah, take it from there. Okay. I've
0: got another question.
3: Yeah, so tell us more about social identity theory. Yes, yeah, so um, in this research I'm taking uh, what's called a social identity approach mm-hmm. um, and that's comprised of two theories. So firstly we've got social identity theory and self categorization theory. Uh, so basically this approach acknowledges uh, that individuals can define themselves and behave not only as individuals but also as group members. So for example you might identify yourself as an individual family member but then you'll also behave in a way that's congruent with the rest of your family. Um, So therefore, you're a family unit or a family group. Uh, The approach also proposes that membership to this group gives their behaviour a distinct meaning and it motivates the individual to act in accordance to what differentiates themselves to other groups. So for example, um, we take it back to the family group. You might have Sunday roast every Sunday, okay? Whereas another family might not do that. They might have Friday takeaway every Friday night, okay? But what that does is you can identify with your family unit because you have a Sunday roast, but you also identify that that's your group because you don't have takeaway every Friday night. So you differentiate your family unit from someone else's family unit.
2: Okay, so is this sort of used to justify like someone from an unhealthy family where the exercise isn't what they were brought up doing, won't be able to really pick it up as much as someone else?
3: Well, I think that's kind of um, what this research is lending to is that potentially, yeah, if you've had a family growing up and exercise has never been a big priority, um, you may differentiate yourself that I'm not an exerciser because in my current in-group, we don't exercise. Whereas if you go into a group exercise class, people go, I I identify with this group exercise class and I feel part of it, potentially maybe because the instructor has facilitated that identity, fingers crossed. Um, But then they go, okay, well, what behavior makes me part of this group? Okay, I have to come to this group. I have to participate. And then people over time start to identify themselves as an exerciser, as a group exerciser, And then all of a sudden we go, this is my in-group, my out-group, you know, the people over there that don't exercise.
0: Uh Have you wondered why your neighbours are out jogging at 5am when you can hardly get out of bed? Well, we took these important questions to exercise researcher Emma Slade
1: from the University of Queensland to see if she has some tips for us who are struggling to get fit.
0: So Triple Z listeners, probably quite a few of them are unmotivated to go jogging. <laughs> have you got some hints to get us off our butts and you know, doing some exercise for our, the good of our brains, if nothing else?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think start small. okay So sometimes we have this tendency, especially with social media at the moment, to see people out there, you know, just casually just going off for a 10k run you know, five days a week. And we re- you really have to ask yourself, is that realistic for me? Okay, you got to start where with where you're at, okay? It's not where your partner's at. It's not where your next door neighbor or your best friend is at. It's where you're at and what's achievable for you. So, you know, if you're, if you're under time pressure, um, you've got a lot on your plate, can you fit in a 10-minute walk before breakfast or a 10-minute walk before dinner, you know, morning and night? And then kind of looking, okay, can I do more than that or is that enough for me at the moment? Um, So that would be one thing. So yet making it really specific to you, kind of having a goal. Um, Other things too, you know, maybe setting a longer-term goal. Okay, so making it, you know, if you know that there's a 5K fun run on and that's something that you would like to get to, setting that maybe for next year or 18 months' time and giving you that long-term goal but then breaking it down and thinking what are the stepping stones to get there because no one went from nothing today to running 5K, you know, making a PB tomorrow. Yeah.
0: Little steps.
3: Little steps, yes, and go to grit fitness.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I found this very interesting because um, in my latter school years, I was part of a soccer group Mm -hmm. and in the beginning, like the first year, I sort of wasn't really sort of comfortable with them all, just learning them yep. all. And then in the second year, one of my best friends joined mm-hmm. unexpectedly and did that, just like create a whole new element. Like yeah, yeah, I was absolutely. all of a sudden so confident mm. and, yep. you know, you had someone that was very close to you. Mm-hmm. And so I think then I've got, the, then I, you know, had that, you know, ad- identity or. Absolutely.
3: So someone's come in that's fam- familiar to you and, um, and whether that individual also helped facilitate the group a little bit more to say, hey, my friend was here last year, but she's, you know, she's part of our group too. And maybe without consciously knowing, she's facilitated that. Were you playing soccer? Was it your first year yeah, playing I soccer? Yeah, I was like,
2: new to soccer and that all been there for years. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, I suck at this. Word. So if we take it
3: back <laughs> one step um, before that... You're even changing your identity as a soccer player. Mm. So they're all been playing soccer for years. You know that's their in group, and then you've come from not being a soccer player. So the group of people in the world that don't play soccer, yeah, <laughs> stepping into that world, trying to form your identity not only as a soccer player, but then trying to form your identify, uh, trying to form an identity as a soccer player within this soccer group. Um, yeah. So it kind of you can take this approach from, I guess very um, big, a very big overarching scale and filter it all the way down to what positions you even play in a team. So if I identify with defense or identify with attack, okay, what behaviors do we do that differentiates ourselves together, but yet we're still in the same team, we still have to work together. So, you know, if anyone has ever played in a team where, you know, sometimes people say, oh, those people in down the back there, they're not doing anything. <laughs> oh, those people up the front there, they're not doing anything. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, we've got groups within groups within groups. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what comes out of the research. Um, you know, as a developing and kind of new area and space, it's exciting for me and it's exciting... Um, working in this space and hopefully to be able to link, um, you know, put some research behind it. I think sometimes in exercise psychology, again, with all these fitness um, people out there, you know, they they have really good tips and hints, but what's the research behind that?
0: Today on Only Human, we've been talking to Emma Slade, exercise researcher from the University of Queensland. If you attend group exercises
1: and would like to be involved in her research, you can find out more about it via the link on our Facebook page.
0: You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research, and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.